There's something better. Go ahead. Try. Welcome back to another episode of Spectacular Radio. I'm Zach Joyner, your friendly neighborhood webmaster of the website The Powers at Spidey-Dude.com. In this episode, I'm joined by Mr. Greg Bashansky, the host of the show. Yo. And joining us this month is Mr. Greg Wiseman, the supervising producer and story editor of the show. And returning from war, storming the castle, Jennifer L. Anderson. We missed you, Jen. <laughs> I had a good time, but I missed you guys, too. Excellent, excellent. And uh, this month, we'll be discussing episode four of the series, Market Forces. I really enjoy this one. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed it, too. But I was going to ask Greg, I mean, you uh, last episode you were on, you talked about uh, Denver Comic Con and you having that 20th anniversary celebration. How did that go? Uh, it was great. We had a terrific panel for Gargoyles uh, and its 20th anniversary um, it included uh, myself, uh, character designer Greg Buehler, uh, storyboard artist Victor Cook, um, and four amazing voice actors from the show, Sally Richardson-Whitfield, who played Elisa Maza, uh, Jim Cummings, who played Dingo, uh, Marina Sirtis, who played Demona, and Jonathan Frakes, who played Vanitas. And we had a great time. We, had a, we were in their biggest room, and we had a packed house, and... Uh, to spend an hour laughing mostly, so it was good. Yeah, I watched what? on YouTube. It was a hoot. Oh, Greg, that's up on YouTube. Yes, it is. I'll send you links later. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to put some links up 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 there on the website to uh, highlight that. But uh, uh, I'm going to open it up with you, Greg, for uh, for your questions, oh. and we'll go around. All right, we're going to start with a question. I know Greg is sick of getting, and <laughs> I'm quite frankly sick of it myself, but this is all encompassing, so we have to go here. What led to your decision to make Montana the shocker, and please don't hit me for asking. Um, you know, I, it was organic to our show, I mean, is the short answer. Uh, I think that um, there wasn't a lot of personality to the Herman Schultz uh, character who was shocker. This is, by the way, so many years ago, I'm assuming I'm getting the name right. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, I love the character of Shocker. I, I think the powers are cool and, and everything. But, you know, we just felt that Montana um, had a, a personality that was a lot of fun and worth revisiting and um, worth upgrading um, from the enforcers. And I think, you know, if it pains people a lot, they can just think that Montana's real name is Herman Schultz. Um, but, you know, we were trying to create something cohesive from the get-go, and it was just much more cohesive to uh, turn Montana into Shocker than to sort of start from scratch and add a, yet another um, character who wouldn't bring a lot of personality to it. And Montana has just a great personality. Of course, a lot of credit for that should go to uh, Jeff Bennett for just sort of 
bringing that guy to life, both as Montana and as Shocker. And let's talk for a minute about how great Jeff Bennett is. He's been on all of your shows. Yeah, Jeff is so darn good. I mean, I, I swore actually back on Bonkers when he was doing jitters. Uh, I would never do a show without Jeff Bennett. Um, and, uh, you know, Jeff is just the greatest, you know. Um, and, you know, so many characters on so many shows, but not just mine, but, um, so, you know, he's just one of the greatest ever. All right. Well, um, this episode also brings in, in a major way, Betty Brandt. You've really modernized her because, um, I've said before, back in the 60s, she was the queen of Silver Age crazy girlfriends, and that wasn't an easy crown to keep, but um, your Betty is quite different. So how did you develop her? Well, I think there are a couple things going on there. One, um, you know, uh, I have fond memories of Betty from, uh, you know, the original Bakshi Spider-Man series and from the old comics and um, but you know, the truth is, is that we were playing Parker Peter at age, uh, 16 and even assuming that Betty, did, you know, didn't go to college, got a job straight out of high school and that kind of thing, you know, she, but, um, yeah, so she was 20 years old and obviously, you know, Peter makes the point that that four year age difference is going to mean a lot when they're in their seventies, but they're not in their seventies. She's 20, he's 16. And so I love the idea that he's got a huge crush on her and that she laughs at his jokes. And so he actually thinks he might just have a shot. And part of that is his sort of Spider-Man inspired confidence, which doesn't necessarily translate to what, how people respond to Peter. Um, but he kind of does start to wear her down, which is what he, he says. And she kind of feels like, well, it's kind of harmless until Aunt May shows up in the middle of a, fight with Rhino um, later and tells her otherwise. But, you know, we, we like Betty as someone both as a foil for Peter, but also as a foil for Jonah, someone who was very competent, someone who knew how to manage him and saw both his, you know, positive and negative qualities and knew how to deal with them. But she's an adult. So as an adult, she's not going to be a long time um, option for Peter's, uh, you know, romantic inclinations, at least not at this high school stage of Peter's life. And so, you know, we, but we wanted to address it. We wanted to do justice to the character of Betty um, and her role as, you know, part of the Bugles staff. Um, and so it was great. You know, you know, we had touched on the Bugle in uh, the first episode, but, it, you know, it was great to sort of start bringing those characters back in and, because the Bugle was always such a huge part of Spider-Man's supporting cast in Peter's life. Yeah, they were in the pilot, but I consider this to be the first real appearance of the Bugle. I mean, we get a lot of Jameson in this episode, and there's this one line, Jen and I actually watched the episode together earlier in the day, and um, we both talked about how much we love the tomato <laughs> juice line. I love that yeah. Jonah, the Jonah has clearly experienced on being covered in dump smell. Yeah. I mean, you know, the idea is that Jonah, uh, worked his way up and that he was a reporter and he, uh, you know, still considers himself the best reporter the bugle has, not that he does much reporting, but, 
that doesn't change his opinion of himself. Um, and, uh, so he's got all these old reporters tricks, you know, um, one kind of wonders where Jonah got the money to actually buy the bugle at some point, but, um, we haven't really addressed that, um, this stage, maybe never will, but, um, but there's no doubt that Jonah, you know, worked his way up. He was a reporter. He was an editor before he was the publisher. So, um, he, uh, you know, he knows all these old tricks and we tried to show that, you know, we wanted to give a well-rounded view of Jonah, um, not just focus on his bombast, which is considerable and a lot of fun, particularly as Darren Norris plays him, but also on his uh, ability to get us to care about him and, you know, the occasional word of wisdom that comes out of his mouth. Yeah, well, Joan is a character who's very easy to turn into a caricature. In fact, a lot of comic book writers don't even know how to properly write the guy. I mean, and I get why. I mean, especially in, the, in his early appearances. But I think he wrote a very well-rounded Jonah. He doesn't quite. We don't quite see more dimensions until I think episode six. But you can still see a bit here, like that again, that tomato juice line. Greg, I'll, I was going to ask you. I mean, you uh, you said that the first three episodes were written as you know one specific arc, and then this is a specific arc, and then we have another arc to end the end the season. Did your approach to writing this the show change by this point? By the time you got this to this fourth episode, I don't know that the approach changed. We had a plan for four arcs across the first season, um, and. Uh, I think that it, it took a little while for us to sort of get that each arc was going to be a month of uh, Peter's school time. Um, so as I recall, um, this is uh, still September, is it, am I right? Uh, yeah. In other yeah, words, yeah. Uh, October, which would include Halloween, um, takes place during the Green Goblin arc, and uh, November which includes Thanksgiving or ends with Thanksgiving in the Benamar. So this uh, sort of tombstone arc um, is still September, which is, you know, more or less what our uh, first arc was it as well. Um, I think it all worked out, but it took us a while to sort of get that notion that, you know, we were going to do somewhere between three and four episodes for each month of Peter's life. And so this first arc, I think, is more like six episodes for, say, the end of August to the end of September. Um, and uh, I think it works out all right, but this was definitely designed to be the first episode of the new arc. We had done sort of our biology arc with uh, Vulture and uh, Enforcers and Electro and Lizard, and now we were moving into our economics arc, which would feature, of course, in this episode, Shocker, but with uh, the build um, that would include Hammerhead um, and the big man who we eventually reveal as Tombstone. Economics equals organized crime. <laughs> <laughs> right? <clears throat> All right. Um, let's see. We've also really get into Norman Osborn in this episode. Granted, we met him in the first episode, but this is really the first time we see just how crappy a father he is to Harry, at the same time doling out words of wisdom, which are both good, and at the same time, if you want to be popular, be popular. Yeah, we're only that easy. Well, I mean, I think we, sh 
got a good flavor of Norman in the first in the pilot, um, both in his, you know, his the way he dealt with uh, Adrian Toomes, the way he dealt with Otto Octavius, and certainly the way he dealt with Harry. Um, but you know, it, we're advancing our story here, so we're getting more of a flavor for him. I think a lot of his advice was pretty useless to his son. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it, it's one thing to tell, you know, an adult to stop complaining and man up, you know, and just deal with it. It's another thing to tell a kid, if you want to be popular, be popular. And what does that even mean? Uh, you know, I, uh, Norman's not going to win any father of the year contest. That's for sure. And, um, what we're also seeing is these factions, maneuvering around each other. So you've got Hammerhead representing Tombstone. You've got Norman. Um, and this idea of starting to, uh, you know, justify, in essence, the creation of these villains in order to keep Spider-Man away from dealing with average everyday crime, which is the bread and butter of what uh, funds the big man's empire, um, is... Uh, you know, a particularly fun idea for us because it justifies a lot. And again, a lot of this still comes back to our desire to create a, uh, a Spider-Man universe that's more cohesive, that, that seems to, uh, um, a little less random and a little more organized. Um, and that was fun for us, you know, creating all these connections between all the different characters was, really interesting to us. It always allowed us to play with our cast and have more fun with it than just having everyone sort of emerge from one radioactive accident or another. Um, you know, there was a plan to it. It allowed us to grow a number of different characters, you know, not just Hammerhead, but Otto Octavius, not just yeah. Montana, but, you know, uh, Alex and Flint you know, who come up and who become the big villains in the next two episodes of this arc. Um, I yeah. I really like them here. I especially love that moment where O'Hearn hits Spidey with a truck. I mean, that seems to be pretty deliberate rhino foreshadowing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like we didn't know where we were going with these guys. So, you know, it was fun to play them. And, and uh, you know, it, one of the things that uh, we talked about this in the first episode, but... You know, one of the things that was fun was that we tried to get, you know, 90% of our villains appear in one form or another from the pilot on. Um, and what that really allows us to do, again, is to show character growth, to try and understand why um, certain people have grudges against Spidey that go beyond just, hey, I want to commit a crime here. So that we were ramping up all these guys. I mean... You know, Montana lost in the first episode, but you definitely get a sense that it's out of this episode and what happened to him is Shocker that's really sort of started him hating the Spider-Man guy. Um, and mm -hmm. by the time we get here with, uh, with Flint and Alex, you know, you get the same kind of feeling that they've just taken on this guy and lost him enough that when the, they get the chance, they're just going to want to pound on him. And we also begin to see some of the subtle, I like to think subtle, differentiations between some of these characters. You know, how for Montana, it's sort of a professional insult. You know, job's got not done till it's done. 
Um, for Flint, it's really about the score. It's not really about vengeance. But for O'Hearn, you know, he just wants to pound this bug, you know, this spider into the ground. And I, I like the fact that, you know, you've got all these different guys and they've all got a hate on for Spider-Man, but that each one has a sort of slightly different take on the why and wherefore of it all. Yeah, I mean, I did like Montana's attitude and I get why shows make him shocker because for him it was just business, nothing personal. It kind of reminds me of Mike from Breaking Bad in that respect. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that. Okay. It reminds you of who? Mike from Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, obviously. Um, just, he was just know, a pro about uh, it, yeah. Um, I mean, I can see that. Uh, but again, it's just that, yeah, the idea of the pro and uh, takes the job seriously and, um, you know, has in the past always offered results. And when he can't, at this point, becomes increasingly frustrating. But what you see here is a Montana who's still pretty supremely confident. You know, um, he he didn't successfully take out uh, Spider-Man in the pilot, but he got away and, um, and okay, you know, never dealt with anything like Spider-Man before. Now he seems fairly confident that he can get this guy for good. Um, of course, he's wrong. <laughs> but... Um, you know, it, it helps motivate everything that comes later. And right now we have another special guest. Joining us now is Sean Sheeks Galloway, the character designer for the TV series. How's it going, everybody? Hey, Sean. Uh, sorry, I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We're glad you're here. Oh, man. Uh, being tardy is not really my thing, but uh, I do apologize. How's everybody doing? We're all doing great. How are you? Doing pretty good. Um, little, uh, my brain's kind of scattered. I have to draw some armor, and it's, like, racking my brain. <laughs> armor. <laughs> well, um, I guess we'll throw a question to you if, um, okay, which, um, how did we go about deciding how to redesign and modernize some classic designs? Like, we're talking about Shocker right now, and this around market forces, but, um, can apply the same character. Well, you know, uh, going to the job, um, I I had a vision of trying to approach it like how Jeff Matsuda, you know, kind of reinvented some of the villains and stuff. But what was great about working with Greg and Vic, you know, uh, they, they wanted to keep the core of the characters. And it's actually something that I, I still do, uh, even when I'm just doing fan art, that I don't go off in a, in a weird you know, uh, on a on a weird path trying to recreate the character. You know, it's more of uh, designing what's already there, but try to find a way to modernize it without having to go overboard. You know, so um, so going into it, you know, I, I had this you know vision that I wanted to try to do that approach, but but uh, as I started working on Big and Greg, you know, it just um, it just became. Uh, you know, more about, you know, let, let's try to capture what's, what's already there and, and try to ignite, you know, uh, the fans loved about the characters already. You know, so uh, going into Design Shocker, um, I, I tried to, uh, I think I, the first half I tried to go a little too extreme with it, but then but when we started looking more at the, oh, <laughs> all right, sorry, 
Um, so going uh, into the uh, Shocker's design, uh, I try to go too far, you know, um, off off um, off track. But then they reeled me back. We try to implement what Shocker's costume had before, you know, the you know uh, thinking about the color, the shapes, what's in the costume, and some of the details, and then uh, try to modernize it a bit. Well, I thought it looked great. I thought I thought pretty much all the redesigns looked great. I mean, some. I mean, I look at them and I see, yeah, this is the character. I mean, even a radical departure with Electro, I still look at that and say, yeah, that's Electro. Who was your favorite character to redesign? Um, favorite character to redesign. Good question. Uh, I have to say the hardest one was probably for me because I wasn't used to drawing these type of shapes was either Rhino. Doc Ock or Craven. So it, it's a toss-up between those three. Uh, and well, I guess Mysterio too. Um, that's when I started really focusing on on you know the the true quality characters. And I'm a huge fan of Spider-Man. You know, after all these iterations, you start to become a little jaded of what you know what's the character. But like I said, working with uh, Big and Greg, uh, it when I got to those characters, I was able to kind of uh, start realizing what I needed to do for, for the designs and that. So I, I'd say those three probably, but Craig was probably the hardest one um, drawing uh, human slash, you know, animal type of character. Uh, I was going to uh, ask Jen and Greg, what was your favorite designs that, that Sean did? Jennifer, why don't you go first? I've talked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm used to talking a lot. Um, <laughs> I loved uh, Craven. Craven is one of my fa- favorite anyway, and I think uh, the way he turned out uh, was really awesome. See, that's how you keep um, it short, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keeping it short isn't really my strong suit. No, it's uh, not. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I I. I have great affection for almost every design in the series, um, but you know I, I love Jonah. Really, I mean, uh, you know, Sean did a, this amazing Jonah before he even got the job. It just, you know, blew me away. Um, and and so I think that's one of my favorite designs. I mean, among the villains, um, they're also great. Uh, uh, you know, I love what we did with. Shocker. I love what we did with Electro um, that sort of took the notion of that starfish mask and yet made it not silly while keeping him iconic. But probably my favorite is uh, what he did with either Goblin or Doc Ock or both. Um, you know, I, I, I think those are two of the great classic Spider-Man villains and Sean has always did an amazing job sort of bringing them to life for us. I also uh, really loved Gwen Stacy. Yeah, it's hard not to love Gwen. Yeah, she just made her absolutely adorable, and I absolutely love how she looked in the the show. You guys make me blush. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the redesign of Gwen is so great that when the time came to take away her glasses, some people were actually sad to see them go. A lot of people, actually. Well, you know, um, the, the designs came from good direction. You know, so uh, I really owe that to, you know, uh, Greg, Vic, and the directors. You know, they, they had a vision as well. So uh, what I was trying to do is to 
you know, I had to make sure that I tried to find a way to fuse everybody's, you know, vision for it, as well as what could I bring to the table as well. So, you know, those were the challenges with, with designing on the job, but, you know, when it's all said and done, when we look at the, the show, it's like, wow, you know, this is, this is a, a child of everybody's vision. So, I'm really happy that everybody does it. Um, we've kind of asked this question with everybody, Sean, but uh, what was your history with Spidey? Did you read the comics or watch the TV shows before? Uh, I am Spidey. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> you are Spidey? Is that what you said? I am Spidey. Oh, nice. Uh, wait till we get Josh Keaton on so we can argue with you on this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I would kind of pay a lot of money to watch Cheeks and Josh, like, throw down. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I'm not the voice of Spidey. I, I am Spidey. <laughs> <laughs> I can never be Josh's variant voice on Spidey. Uh, He's like, I don't think you understand, guys. I am. Yes. Um, nice. Well, the thing is, okay, so I've always been a Spider-Man fan, you know. Um, so I'm happy to mix both universes here. Uh, it was Super Friends for me, uh, and then Spider-Man and Amazing Friends. So when I grew up, those were the two type of shows that, that I loved watching. Um, so the first character that I ever got to meet in person, and I, I was living on Fort Walton Beach at the time, and um, it, was, it was Spider-Man. So my twin sister and I, we'd go to the mall, and they'd always have these, these uh, you know, people dressed up as the heroes for photo ops. And it wasn't cosplay time, it was just the one character, you know, uh, whoever was the guest of the month, basically. So, you know, we got a picture of Spidey, still have the picture to this day, and, and I had a chance to meet the Hulk. I was too scared. I was behind the pillar at the mall, and he was just roaring, happened to be roaring my direction. I got so scared, I backed up against the pillar, bumped my head, and had a slight concussion. I was pretty scared. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so Spidey, I, I've been... A huge Spider fan ever since. Gosh, I'd say kindergarten or preschool. You know, um, that, those were my first memories of Spider Man. Did you read the comics back then too, or just oh, do yeah. that later? Yeah, I started off with uh, South Oshima, Alex Sadiak, even when Mark Silvestri drew a couple of issues back in the day. So I started way back then, and then. And during that time, someone introduced me to Tom McFarlane's uh, Spider-Man, you know, and then, you know, uh, so, I mean, the rest of his history is just, ever since back in the day, uh, John Romita's Spider-Man, you know, um, now, I, I wasn't old enough to read his, when he, when he first put out, but that's how I started going back towards reading the old, uh, the old uh, issues, back issues and stuff. Also, if you guys ever meet cheeks in person, you'll notice that there's a mole on his face in the exact same place that RPD has a mole, too. And I'm glad you said my face, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that's always been a Well, if you keep always... your pants on, there'd be no questions about that one. <laughs> oh, dear. Wow. Does your ta- does it's like convention. You get wild. <laughs> well, it happens at the convention stays at the convention. So. <laughs> we hope. We hope, right, yeah. Which, my so, my son has a mole in the same exact spot on his face, so he seriously thought he was Spider-Man when what I was working on the show. Oh, yeah. I never told him about Cheeks' mole. <laughs> no reason to 
And we're still a, few episodes, a couple episodes away from there, but I still say that Gwen Stacy's version of the look with the glasses down on her nose is based on you, Jen. I've seen you give that exact look many times. I, I don't give nasty looks, do I? No, of course not. <laughs> I'm lying. Well, I think, never it definitely didn't say where Jennifer's involved, but I seem to recall, and Sean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to recall that it was Jennifer Coyle who sort of uh, gave us uh, the drawing of the look for us to use. Am I right, or am I misremembering? Um, well, I I think for that one, Jennifer Coyle had a lot of um, a lot of say so, which was great say so when it came to re- uh, redressing her, and then for the evolution of Gwen as as she started becoming a little more attractive and whatnot, um, but. The initial design that that uses inspiration was actually from uh, Joaquin Dos Santos's take on Gwen Stacy. Um, I felt like he really, he really, um, excuse the pun, nailed her um, in his design for the test. You know, so when I saw that, I was like, it was such a great take that I had to find a way to try to incorporate that into into my take on Gwen. Well, that's interesting. I, I don't think I knew that. But I wasn't talking about her design. I was talking about that look she gives Peter when she's mad at him. Oh, that yeah. one special expression. You know, when it gets to expression, she and somebody like Jennifer was a master, so she definitely gave those those nice iconic moments of Gwen. So yeah, definitely. Uh, I remember when when they first did when we did the first time where she did the look, we had to have them redo it because it looked weird. And I don't remember who redrew it and sent it back to them. Well, that was probably Sean, I would think. Uh, I think you're so. talking I about think when it you was, say they, you're talking about the, uh, the overseas production, right? Yeah. Uh, we're going to shoot a question to Greg right quick, and, I'm, and to Jen, too. Uh, well, everybody. Um, this is the first mentioning of uh, Mary Jane Watson. Yeah. And so... Greg, I know you kind of were trying to tease that kind of similar how you've always been on the show so far. You've been, you know, doing the cookie crumbs and all adding up to something that's paying off down the road. But that was directly from the comics, too, right? uh, with uh, the infamous face uh, being obscured by random things like plants. Um, yes, he's always a wonderful personality. Yeah, wonderful personality. Okay, that that, that particular plot point, wonderful personality, where did that come from? I, I always found that interesting. Is that some, something that came up in real life, or what? Well, I mean, like you said, the, here on uh, MJ, we really wanted to reproduce the suspense, if that's the right word for it, for introduction that was right out of the comics, that she was talked about for issues before she was seen. Um... In fact, you know, she was talked about when Ditko was still doing the book and not actually introduced until Ramita took over. Um, and uh, so, you know, we uh, wanted to do that, but, you know, we had to have a reason why uh, Peter wasn't particularly enthusiastic about meeting her that wasn't mean per se, but wasn't particularly kind either. And so this notion that... Um, that Aunt May thought she had a wonderful personality, scared Peter off, seemed like a natural beat, you know I mean? Uh, that wonderful personality sounded to Peter like code for 
oh my God, I don't want to look at this person. Um, and, you know, it's not fair, but that kind of teenage judgment is never fair. Um, and we wanted Peter to fundamentally be a teenager, um, not already mature and not already always making the right choices out of the gate, but having to constantly sort of remind himself to do the right thing. Um, and that extends, obviously, to being Spider-Man, but it also extends with how he deals with um, even his peers, as Peter Parker. So, uh, it, and it, you know, if nothing else, it made for a lot of fun. Um, there's a percentage of our audience that obviously knows who Mary Jane is and knows that she's a knockout and um, that Peter will hit the jackpot with her, so to speak. But uh, there's a percentage of our audience um, that doesn't know that. Um, and so they just begin to wonder, okay, this Mary Jane keeps getting mentioned, um, wonder who she's going to turn out to be. So, um, gotta ask the three of you, MJ or Gwen? Oh, (laughs) it's the age old question, you know? Well, I mean, I think in terms of Peter's, uh, first love, I think it's clearly Gwen. I mean, um, whether that winds up lasting or not is hard to say. I mean, he's 16 years old, and he hasn't actually dated her yet, but um, I think there isn't any question in the two seasons that we got to do that, you know, his heart's with her. Um, And MJ's heart isn't with Peter yet. She likes Peter a lot, um, but she likes him as a friend more than anything else. And, um, and I think that's pretty clear too, whereas Gwen, um, you know, has a thing for Peter from the moment we meet. Sean? That's a toss-up, man. Um, I mean, MJ always got the spotlight just in general throughout Comic history, right? So it was really nice to see Gwen, um, kind of shine, you know, um, in, in our series. So I'd have to... Get down to Gwen. Jen? Now see, I'm thinking of it from the voice actress point of view, where we have the adorable Lacey Chabert and then the beautiful, sexy, sensual Vanessa Marshall. And I'm going to take both of them, and we're just going to go have some alone time, okay? Yes! <laughs> that is the best answer. Jen wins. I tell you. Jen wins the internet. <laughs> yeah, she wins the internet today. But I, I have to say, Greg, and this is a testament to your writing and, and Sean to your design. This was definitely my favorite version of Gwen that I've ever seen up to this point uh, when it was released. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've kind of, kind of, you know, partial now to uh, Emma Stone's ver- uh, portrayal of Gwen, but. But definitely up until that, even but I still have a soft spot spot for uh, the spectacular Spider-Man's Gwen because that just really is my favorite version. I really appreciate that, man. That makes me feel good, so I appreciate it. It was definitely a team effort to get her to where she, um, you know, was for the for TV. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a kid of the '90s, so I was a '90s show guy, and she wasn't in the '90s show up until the very, 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 very end. Um, so to see her from the very beginning and see her grow and evolve, uh, definitely a testament to both of you guys uh, on that regard. But Greg, you got a question for uh, the, for the group? I've been kind of hogging the questions this time. 
<laughs> One thing, though, I have to say, I've got to give kudos to Joshua LaBarbie as Flash, because in this episode, he really comes in the form. I mean, yeah, he's already been there, but the moment he starts laughing at Heater, I'm thinking to myself, yes, this is the perfect Flash Thompson. That laugh is most memorable. It's even more memorable than Green Goblin's laugh. <laughs> um, I would, you know, Joshua Barr is just terrific. Uh, um, you know, so good as Flash, so good at humanizing him. You know, Flash starts out in the comics as well. It's just your sort of stereotypical bully. Um, and, you know, the challenge for us on a lot of these characters is to say, you know, we were talking about this earlier with Jonah, you know, um, is to say, okay, we know what the, you know, what flag this character is flying, whether it's Jonah being, you know, bombastic or Flash being a bully. The trick is, can we then sort of twist it so that you begin to see the more human side of these guys? Um, and you can begin to have fun with them, you know, I mean, and I agree with you, I mean, Flash's laugh is terrific, and, um, and that's all Joshua Barr, um, and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, a lot of fun, and, and we begin to start to see that there's more to Flash, um, than we may have thought, um, so, you know, he's still very much in the the bullying phase in the in the second arc. Yeah, and let's be honest, Peter was having a very crappy time this episode. I mean, Fallout from episode three. I mean, uh, blowing off Harry by accident. Nothing went his way. This is the first big Parker Luck episode. Yeah, I, I was going to say. I mean, this uh, in the comics sometimes it, it comes off as Peter being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk sometimes towards Harry, especially towards the, towards like the right before he quote unquote died and got better. Um, I know you were trying to unintentionally put that, but sometimes Peter comes across as, as not being the best person to, to Harry when Terry clearly is in need. And it was, the, I guess, I guess it's supposed to set up things down the road, but, but uh, I just, I, I remember being struck by that. Uh, as as guy that's obviously read a lot of the comics, that relationship with Pete, between Peter and Harry is kind of complicated. Yeah. Well, there've been a lot of versions of it. I mean, let's be honest. You know, you've got a lot of yeah. writers and editors over the years, and um, they've treated uh, Harry in a variety of different ways. Everything from you know, sweetest guy in the world to someone who's got his own agenda and can't be trusted. Um, we tried to find a consistent ground for him and a consistent way um, for him to feel about Peter that would evolve over the course of certainly the two seasons that we got to do. Um, uh, but, you know, I, you know, Peter is a victim of his own uh, success, for lack of a better term. You know, I mean, uh, Spider-Man's uh, successfully taking down these bad guys, but that only leads to further bad guys which pulls Spidey away from, or rather pulls Petey away from his friends, his family, his work responsibilities. It becomes, uh, you know, increasingly difficult for him. And that's always been true from moments Stan and Steve started with the character. That this is a guy who, you know, unlike the Clark Kent of the 
you know, 40s and 50s uh, who seemed to always be able to just slip away and be Superman at a moment's notice and then just sort of come back and type up his story. Um, Pete got a, a lot of things going on in his life. Got money problems. He's got girl trouble. He's got Aunt May. Um, and what that means is that there are a lot of pressures um, on this kid, and he's not going to be to meet all of them. Um, he's not going to be able to be all things to all people when they need him, and something's going to suffer. In this early going, a lot of that was, you know, uh, Carrie. It was Gwen, also to a certain extent. Um, but, uh, you know, there were going to be disappointments in people who felt let down by Peter to a great degree, including Eddie and the Connors and all these people, but Harry's right up there with Yeah, this always felt more consistent to me with the original comics. I've noticed in a lot of other adaptations, like the Samurai movies, it's Harry who's kind of a bad friend to Peter, or in the original comics, Peter, let's be honest, is a bit of, of a bad friend to Harry, and I get what was going on at the time, I mean, especially on the time Gwen Stacy died, Norman Osborne died, Peter was, it's understandable that Harry was doped out on drugs, had its own problems, and Peter just wasn't there for him. And we see that a little bit of the, yeah. those elements pay off later on, obviously. Yeah, in I a fantastic way. I think it's something we all sort of feel. There are only so many hours in the day. I mean, it's on that level, we can all identify with Peter, who's the ultimate every, you know, superhero is every man. You know, we all feel like there are only so many hours in the day. We're pulled in a lot of different directions. We've got a lot of different things we have to or are supposed to do. And it just isn't always possible to get all of this done. In fact, it's almost never possible. And things suffer. And you prefer this, what suffers isn't people, but often it is, that's just not the case. So, um, I, I think in that sense, uh, one of the things about Spider-Man that's archetypal. It's one of the things about him that has been appealing to audiences for a long time, and we just... Because it makes him real. It makes him very identifiable. It makes him real, and it's something that we all sort of get. Yeah. And so I think it's an it's a important element of, you know, the DNA of the character that we try to get up on screen for everybody. And Zach, I think you had a question for uh, Sean. Okay. Sean, tell us, Greg's kind of told us a little bit of how you got the gig, but tell us from your perspective, how did you get the uh, the gig on Spectacular Spider-Man? Um, I just happened to walk into Sony and Homer sold uh, Greg a big screen time, one, and then I got the job. Arm wrestling, awesome. Greg left that part out. Uh, you know, let me, uh, let me retract that. Indian leg wrestle. Beat them both. Indian leg wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, so what happened? Youth, was youth was on his side on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things. Uh, so yeah, I got a I got a uh, email from uh, Big Cook, and um, so he was he was saying that uh, that uh, he and Greg were interested in um, in uh, me testing out for for the new Spider-Man uh, series, and um, so. Whenever I get emails like this, you know, um, especially during that time, I, I was skeptical that maybe my friends trying to play jokes on me, you know, so I, I wasn't too sure, and it was pretty funny because I should have known Big Cook since he and I worked on Hellboy, but we never worked 
face to face on Hellboy. You know, so I didn't really know who, who that was in the email. So uh, so that's an embarrassing thing uh, for me. But so now I answered the email. Um, then we um, conversed a couple times on the phone, and then um, I guess it got to the point during the test where there's a there's a few of us that had our designs that were uh, starting to get more interest from you know I guess the uh, past Dick and Cook uh, uh, Dick and Craig. <laughs> Dick and Craig. Um, so then they asked me what I'd like to come in house to to test out on the on the final part of the test, you know, to see how I would take notes. You know, I guess it's like a trial run uh, as well. Um, so a after that, then when I got a call, I'm not I'm not sure how long the wait time was. It could have been a week, maybe two weeks after after the in house part, and uh, and then I got the call that I got the gig. You know, so. Basically, uh, there's really no preparation time of what do I do with my place in San Diego. It was either um, they, they gave me a choice. It's like, look, this is Spider-Man, so I can't tell you what to do. So uh, I had a, I was pretty frantic, you know, well, well, they're going to stay. So uh, I was very lucky with that, um, you know, Sarah Finn let me stay at a place while while they were on vacation. So I got to house it for a few weeks, and then did some of my uh, buddies. That were living in LA, let me, uh, you know, couch surf, you know, for gosh, pretty much the rest of the production. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's that's basically about it. You know, Vic uh, and Greg reached out to me to see if I want to test out. It's very nerve-wracking, you know, with the test. Uh, I held what felt a little easier, you know, because I was left out of the loop of what was happening, you know, but. But during Spider-Man, I was kept in the loop because Vic was a very good salesman to me. You know, he's like, you know, if you get this gig, and I said, yeah, if I get it, he goes, no, no, he says, you can't say if. When you take this test, you need to think, you know, when I get this gig, kind of thing. You know, he wasn't saying that I was going to get the gig, but he wanted me to kind of have more confidence going to the design. Uh, he, was, he was like, um, so when you get the design, you know, don't feel constricted, you know, how many designs that we tell you to do. If you feel like you want to do more, if you have more time, you know, basically try your hand at more designs. And, and at that, it was, I was at a good point, you know, um, in, in my life when I took the test that I had more time than I knew what to do with. So I, I did more designs uh, for the test. Um, but, uh, but it's like, I'm glad that Greg liked uh, Jay Jonah. Because when I did J. Jonah, I knew at that point that that was the kind of cartoon I would like to design when I was designing J. Jonah. Um, originally, when I designed uh, for Peter Parker, uh, I drew very nerdy. You know, um, I didn't really pay attention. Not that I didn't want to, but I, I let my fanboyism take over than what was actually needed for the text. Whereas for Peter, uh, the Basically, the key notes I needed to hit was that he's a little cocky. He just got his powers, you know, uh, and he's still getting used to his powers, and he's not, you know, the nerdy type, you know, kind of thing. But my invol uh, family instinct was I designed him total nerd, you know. So, um, you know, so it, it was pretty interesting, the you know, taking this test, but very nerve-wracking in general. Uh, Sean is talking a lot about the test, which we did have a number of designers do, but the thing that, um, you know, I should say is that 
A, uh, I didn't know Sean before Spider-Man, but Vic was in his corner from moment one. And um, I was quickly right there with Vic once I saw those designs. And uh, and we were ready for a fight, and there was no fight. You know, um, we, we went in to make the final decision on who the character designer was going to be, and Vic and I were ready to battle for Sean because we knew he was the guy we wanted. And there was no fight. Everyone agreed. I mean, all the, you know, Sony, Marvel, everybody was all, yeah, that's the one, you know. It was, it, you know, it, it, I'd love to say we were like big heroes and stuff like that, but the fact was, Sean's stuff was so good that there was no argument to be had. Um, but I think it worked out all right for Sean. Didn't you meet your wife through Spider-Man? <laughs> I did. Uh, and I, I owe that big time, you know, to, to being on Spider-Man. I owe that big time to Tay Sue. Uh, because uh, I wasn't going to go to the company party. Uh, we were pretty swamped with trying to meet our deliverables, and, and he's like, dude, yeah, you got to rest sometime. You should go to this company party. We don't get invited to these parties all the time. I was like, all right. I was looking like a lumberjack going to this thing. I had big old beard, crazy-looking hair. I was in my flip-flops. I probably gained about 25 pounds. And uh, in going to this event, uh, I had met Christine, my, my now wife, and, and we couldn't really talk on the floor. We had a text on each other's phone so we could hear what we were saying, and then been really inseparable ever since. So uh, I would like to Sony. Um, you know, it's just, just a, been an amazing uh, chapter of my life. I do have one question about that story. Do you know a lot of lumberjacks who wear flip-flops? <laughs> who, who wears flip-flops? Lumberjacks. Oh, I said, come on, man. 
said, you got to let me have this, man. I said, look, 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 at my, look at my face. He goes, all right. He saw my phone. He goes, okay. He goes, look, I'll let you have that. But, he goes, if it gets contested, then we we got to take it off. So uh, it was going up the, the, the chain for approval. And it got it did get contested, but uh, from from what I heard, Mike Vogel uh, jumped in and said, hey, have you seen Jesus' face? And then uh, and at the point, they, they let it stay. Uh, so... Uh, that was a, that was a, a battle, you know, that, that I could feel really proud about. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone had the same first initial reaction, which was like, "What's that?" You know, and it's what you said that mixed reaction was. And then it sort of guys explaining, we're like, "All right," you know, it gives them a little something different. And so I think uh, I don't. It wasn't so much a fight; it's just questions. Every step up the ladder, the question just kept getting raised and. And went and but everyone kept signing off on it. So yeah, it was, um, I, I'd say it was a, it was a huge learning experience for me on there, and and I think that's where I, it molded me to to becoming the type of designer I am right now. You know, it's like when I do do my fan art, like I was saying earlier, like I don't try to draw these crazy elements up on the character. I, I try to find a way to to find what you know, what what's really there in the character and, and try to just modernize them a little bit. Um, but but going to the job too, when when before I agreed to the job, you know, Vic Vic said, Look, on Hellboy, you know, we kinda you know, we, we really liked your roughs. We kinda wish that your roughs translated to the screen. He said, if you want to make sure that your designs look like this on screen you're going to have to really basically grow a pair and be able to delegate and, and provide feedback even when the, he said even when cells or you know or the frames come back that don't be afraid to draw on there and that's when I really started understanding my style uh, I mean it's still a developing style but that's when I really started trying to focus more on what is my style so uh, so this production really gave me that confidence. Awesome. Uh, Greg, you, uh, you're going to have to head out. So if, uh, yeah, well, we're wrapping this up. I've got one question for Jen. I mean, your journey from fan to pro throughout the show always fascinated me. What were your favorite aspects of this episode, working on the episode, either? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure, like, uh, today, sitting down and watching this today, uh, was the first time I actually watched it with all the sound effects and everything put into it. Um, and I realized that I've done that for a lot of, a lot of the, the episodes. And, um, and I still was so just so caught up at this point in, in production and everything in working on Spider-Man, which, you know, dream come true kind of thing that, um, uh, just watching it all put together, being put together and stuff, and I know we are still trying to make it uh, all come out to be like a movie, each arc being like a, a little DVD movie at the end, um, and the frustrations uh, and how they worked around that, and just watching them all put it together, um, uh, working on this this episode, like, it, it just reminds me of all the watching, really watching how that all came together into one piece, and it, um, so... I definitely have like this particular episode in my mind of really seeing it 
all come together and then watching it today with the music and everything um, just brought flashbacks of good times. So Awesome. Well, love revisiting the show. Obviously, or else we wouldn't have this podcast. But <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, this is for all three of you. Do you, you all have things you'd like to plug? Uh, well, as usual, I plug in my novels. Uh, uh, Reign of the Ghost is out now. It's available on Amazon at local bookstores. Um, uh, Spirits of Ash and Foam, the, the second book in the series, is. Uh, out July 8th. You can pre-order it now, um, again, on Amazon or at any bookstore, um, but it will be out July 8th. I got my first advanced copy uh, Monday, so um, it looks pretty good to me. I'm biased, obviously, but um, I'm very <laughs> thrilled that it's you know done and about to come out in less than a month, and uh, it's very exciting. Uh, Sean, what are you working on these days? Mm-hmm. What do you well? What do you, you get anything to plug? Are you working on anything these days? Oh, yeah. What are you doing? Uh, I'm art directing and um, and lead designer for a um, for a video game company called Trading Games. They're based in Munich, Germany. Um, so I've been working on that for the last uh, five months, and and then you know, I was doing freelance, you know, here and there for you know Hasbro, Mattel, and, and you know design pilots. And but uh, or you know uh, animation pilots, but uh, but I do a lot of my own create on projects too. Bastion Seven, Gumshoes for Hire, and Little Big Head. Um, I had run Kickstarters for both of them. They were both uh, successful and, and got funding. Uh, so now I'm working on uh, wrapping up, sending out the books for Bastion Seven, and and then uh, moving on to hopefully. Trying to get uh, a game made out of uh, any of the IPs or uh, animation uh, series or something. Uh, and then, um, you have anything? Uh, well, my my comic is being printed as we speak. It'll be in Smut Peddler 2014. Um, so that's that's still happening, and um, I am just taking freelance commissions at this time. Oh, where can we find you? You can find me, um, probably best place is uh, on DeviantArt uh, under Crazy Demona. That's C-R-Z-Y-D-E-M-O-N-A. Okay, well, I wonder where she got that name from. <laughs> I'm a one-trick pony with my name, man. It goes, it goes way back to my very first AOL screen name because was, it was all about gargoyles, and it still is. Indeed it is. That's another reason why we're all here. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely put a link up to your Deviant Art on the uh, website as soon as the episode goes up. And um, I'd like to thank all of you for coming. And next week, next month, we'll be doing <coughs> competition. Sandman shows up, and we'll have other things to talk about, including a certain offspring cameo I made in the series. Nice. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, I know Greg's. Looking forward to that. <laughs> well, yeah, I uh, I have to say thank to the three of you. Thank you for guys yeah. for coming on and being a part of this. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for having us, man. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, and uh, we're all and I'll be seeing Jen and Greg. I'll be seeing both of you at Convergence in what is it? Uh, two and a half weeks, three weeks now. Yeah, it's just two weeks yeah. now. Is when I head out. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got another sort of Gargle's 20th anniversary thing going on at Convergence in Minneapolis uh, the July 4th weekend, and uh, uh, we've got a lot of great guests coming to that. Uh, Frank Parr and uh, Greg Guler and um, uh, Marina Sirtis. Yeah, among others. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're doing a radio play. We're doing all the old sort of gathering of the gargoyles fun events um, within the convergence uh, context. I think we're going to have a good time. Definitely come and audition for us at the radio play. Oh, yeah. Really looking forward to it. Uh, we want pictures. That's all. That's all I gotta say. Is we want pictures. There will, be, there will be pictures, and the radio play will go up on the internet. We're bringing our video camera, and hopefully there will be others also. All right. Okay. So, um, thank you all for coming, and Sheiks, uh, it was a pleasure to have you on. A pleasure to talk to you, and um, Greg and Jen will be. I'll see you in person in a couple weeks, and we'll and I'll see you on the podcast next month. Awesome. Thank Great. You Thanks, have guys. Thank you. You're welcome. You're very, very welcome. And that will wrap up this episode of Spectacular Radio. I am your friendly neighborhood webmaster of Spidey-Dude.com, Mr. Zach Joyner. Uh, I want to thank, of course, uh, Jennifer and Greg for being back on the show, and I want to thank Mr. Galloway for uh, popping in and saying hi. Uh, Enjoyed his presence on the show. So uh, next time on Spectacular Radio, myself and Greg will be joined by our usual panel of, of experts, Gerard Del Tour and Jesse Garrett, and we'll be discussing uh, in greater detail the uh, Market Forces episode. We'll also be joined with a uh, special guest that I'm excited to have for the episode. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll see you next time uh, here on Spectacular Radio, a production by Spidey-Dude.com. straight. You ditched out on the only guy in the whole school who actually liked you? Genius! <laughs> <laughs>